Well, we're almost finished with the book of Colossians. I'm just looking for my notes. I don't usually put them in the front of my Bible, and I did that. <laughs> Talk about just a brief element of terror. <laughs> anyway, all right. Um, we have just a couple of messages left in Colossians. Uh, this one is um, what I'm calling final instructions. There's, there's some other things we'll talk about next week. But um, as we're doing this, uh, just, just a, a reminder, last week uh, f- uh, finished Paul's instructions regarding relationships as we covered uh, the slave-master relationship, which, of course, we culturally applied to uh, bosses and employees, employers and employees. But today... We're going to take some of Paul's and and consider some of Paul's final instructions. Now, just as an introduction here, most people love to take vacations. They love to take trips. I know some of you are hardcore homebodies, and the thought of traveling has absolutely no appeal to you. And that's that's fine. I I don't understand that. You know, I like to get out and do things. But anyway, but I think we'd all agree that packing isn't one of our favorite parts of taking a vacation, right? If we could be rich enough to be able to have someone, you know, pack for us, uh, that would be wonderful. Well, Meg and I actually have packing checklists that we print out for, and we have two kinds. We have one for a birding trip, and we have one for a non-birding trip. Because we found that if we just, you know, did our trip list, Sometimes we forgot some very important things for our very important hobby. Well, Paul's letters are like a well-packed suitcase. He doesn't pack too much or too little, and everything's folded nicely and in its place. But he ends a few of his letters like the last stages of vacation prep. You know what I mean? When you're finishing things up, you're grabbing the last items on your list, or you're giving somebody some instructions, or maybe you're going to look after your house or your dog or something like that, and it just kind of happens a little bit fast, and it seems like somewhat haphazardly, right? Um, Sunscreen. Where's the sunscreen? I just bought sunscreen, right? And so, oh, there it is, and then you pack it away. Or maybe it's the last-minute instructions, again, that we might have for somebody. Well, that's how the ending of some of Paul's letters come across. And I'm going to give you one example. There are more, but I'm going to give you one example, all right? And that is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can see the reference there, but it says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. And now those little three dots there is because there's a very long period of time between 15 and 28. But what does he then say? And do your utmost to come before winter. Right? So you can see it's a little choppy in the end here. And so if you kind of ran just the the words that I 
highlighted up there. It would just be about, hey, come to me, come to me as soon as you can, bring this person and bring this stuff. But he intersperses it with these other things and it goes for many verses, right? Um, there's other similar passages. Now, they're not all that way, but some of them are. And so it's kind of like that idea where it's like, okay, I got to say some more things. They're not necessarily thematic, but I need to get them across, right? And so um, maybe for some of you, it's more like the instructions that you give to your kids, right? As you know, and this is what I want you to do when you get home from school, right? I don't know. Anyway, so again, next week, we're going to be looking at um, the salutations uh, of, of Paul, but um, it's, just, it's just an example of, in Colossians of how he basically said, you know, I forgot these things. I need to fit them in somewhere. And so we're going to do that. So that's what we're going to do today is look at some of these last minute nuggets. And I'm going to pull a few things out here and, and, I, and I hope that they encourage you today. The first one is to pray earnestly. And we see that um, in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. It says, continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. <clears throat> the subject of prayer acts as bookends in Paul's letter. There are many aspects to prayer, but Paul's focus, Paul focuses on two aspects of prayer um, right here in this chapter and in this passage, praying for ourselves and intercessory prayer or praying for others. Based upon what we saw in chapter 1, Paul also practiced what he preached. In verse 2, in chapter 1, it says, praying always for you. And in the verse 9, it says, do, uh, that he, where he says, do not cease praying for you. And so we see that this is something that Paul did. And so he's telling them, continue earnestly in prayer. It's something that he does. Now, just to kind of highlight what we're talking about here, we're going to break this down based upon chapter, chapter 4, verse 2 in Colossians, which again says, continue earnestly in prayer. We're going to start there first. So we're going to talk about committed to prayer. The word earnestly has the idea of, of a devotion to something. So our attitude toward prayer should be one of commitment, which should lead us to a consistent prayer life. Now, it might seem odd for Paul to encourage our commitment to praying for ourselves. But we need to take this in context. Paul understands that putting on and putting off, uh, the whole putting on and putting off process, as well as spiritual success in all of our relationships, will require prayer. See, that's where this verse is. It's following all these instructions that he's giving to us about the character that we're supposed to have, about what we're supposed to get rid of, and about how we're supposed to relate to one another around us. There's that general relationship, then there's the more specific relationships. And so then he tells us, you need to be in prayer. Now I imagine that we all make a number of requests for ourselves when we pray. But how much of them, these requests, are related to our spiritual growth and our proper conduct in our relationships. I don't say it to make us feel bad. I say that just simply to ask us to evaluate momentarily and say, all right, you know, we pray for other people and we have those specific requests that we have when we pray for ourselves. 
I, I, I'd be honest with you, you know, what, what comes out of my mouth a lot of times is help me in this situation, right? Um, help me feel better. Help me get a good night's sleep. <laughs> you know, different things like that. Um, how often are we actually praying, God, I, I need to grow in this specific area. Show me how to do that. And by the way, in these areas you've shown me how to do it, you know, may your spirit lead me in this area and that area. And by the way, here's some confession, right? Here's some, here's some areas where I've missed the mark on this. Forgive me for that. Prayer can also be meditation, and we can be meditating about these. How about, how about our relationships? Again, my default is probably primarily fixing the other people, not me. And yet that's really what Paul is talking about. Now, when it comes to praying for others, one of the worst feelings in the world that I can have is having someone come to me and explain how God answered a prayer request and I had not prayed for that request that I knew about. Again, I don't want to be negative here, but I want to put things in the proper context. I missed the opportunity to pray for that person, right? That's one of the problems. I also miss sharing the experience and even the blessings of how the Lord answered their prayer request. One example might be God healing someone. And it's like, you know, I didn't pray for them as I should have, or, or I, I, I missed that. You know, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying I missed it. Or number two, God giving guidance through a difficult situation. It's like, oh, that's great. I'm so glad the Lord blessed you with that. And then in the back of your mind, it's like, but I don't have any part of that blessing because I, I didn't take you before the Lord like you asked me. So not ending on a sour note here, but flipping that around, that earnestness in prayer, that, that, that commitment to it, it doesn't mean that we're, we're not going to forget things at times. Okay, uh, Sometimes all of us have had people tell us something at an inopportune time, whether it be taking out the trash or pray for me, right? And okay, um, uh, and, and we miss it, right? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when we know about it, when we document it, and when we, we, we just neglect to do it, right? But now here's the flip side. We can all relate to the fact that when we do pray for somebody and we see those results, it's not like, you know, ah, look what I did. No, we're praying to God. God's the one doing the work. And we're primarily praying because we can't do it, right? But at the same time, when we're partnering with that person and with the Lord and we have brought them before him or the situation, whatever it might be, and God answers, that, that, that's, that's a blessing that, that's really difficult to describe, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It's, it's a reward in a lot of ways. So let's not miss out on both the obedience and the blessing that's related to it. All right? So the first thing is to pray earnestly, to pray committed. The second part there, be vigilant, that's alert to prayer. Another aspect of our earnestness or commitment to prayer is being vigilant or alert to prayer opportunities. Now again, 
We're talking about ourselves and others, okay? In other words, when things come up in our life where it's like, man, you know, I should really pray about that, we need to take advantage of it. I believe this is what Paul has in mind in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where we quote so many times where he says to pray without ceasing. It's this idea that we're always alert to the opportunities. We need to have our radar up, anticipating prayer needs, anticipating opportunities to go to God with the things of our own life and the things of others. Now, for us, you know, we can give examples, but, you know, we, we know we know what we should be praying about, right? We just, we just talked about that. But how about praying for others? Let's just consider that for just a moment. It might be that we simply need to pray with someone or for a situation right when the opportunity arises. In other words, yes, I'll pray for you about that. That's fine. But if it's an appropriate thing, and, and, it's, and especially if it's of some urgency, it might be a good idea to stop and pray then. I know this is not a novel idea, but it's a good reminder that we don't have to just write it down on our list when we get home, right? And if that isn't practical or possible, we simply pray through our thoughts to the Lord at that moment, right? Maybe we're um, a bit detached from the situation, but we see a need and we can pray, or in, in our day and age, with, with the technology that we have, we might see a prayer request come across email or Facebook or whatever. And so we can't directly pray, pray with that person, but we can pray for them, right? So it can be something that's you know, fairly close, but not, not an accurate situation to do, or, or, um, or something even quite distant. But the bottom line is, we can stop and pray. Or again, Nothing wrong with writing it down and praying for it later if that's what need be. But Paul specifically asked for prayer for two things that we see we should be ready to pray for um, on behalf of others. And that really is, is uh, in Colossians 4, 3, and 4. And then I'm adding verse 18. We had that in our scripture reading today. He says there, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, and that I may speak uh, the word known, or that I may make the word known as I ought to speak. And then he says, remember my chains. So the first thing that we should be praying for others about is gospel opportunities. Opportunities that they can have in their sphere to share Christ with others especially when they make them known to us, right? If we have folks who say, hey, you know, my, my unsaved friend, family member, they've got some things going on right now, and, and we've had some interesting conversations. Boy, we should be praying about that. But, but we should be praying for uh, unsaved people regardless. And I, I, know, I know that we do, but I'm saying that should be something that, is, that we are to be alert to, okay? And then... He talks about his imprisonment, and we can really take from that the persecuted. Remember my chains. That, that he wasn't saying, oh, take note of the fact that I'm in prison. All right? That wasn't what he was talking about. He's saying, remember, as in, pray for me. I, I'm in prison. He made the best of it, but it couldn't have been pleasant. 
And so we need to pray for those who are being persecuted around the world. And then lastly in this area, we are to be thankful in prayer. Paul mentioned thankfulness six times in this little book. Four of those times, it is a direct instruction to be thankful. This last time, of course, Paul instructs us to express our thankfulness in prayer. Now, we have covered thankfulness in a previous part of our study, and we did it fairly extensively. But we need to note that giving thanks is part of a healthy prayer life. We should express our gratitude for answers to our own prayers and answers to our prayers for others. We should be expressing our gratitude when we see how God is working in our life to help us to grow in a given area. No matter whether we're a child or whether we're an adult, um, we, we like people to, to notice, right, when, when, we're, when we're working hard at something. Um, especially when it's, when it's not, you know, normally what we do. And I'm not saying this has ever happened, but, you know, an example might be when, you know, I, out of the blue, you know, clean up the kitchen, like really, really, really clean it up, right? And then Maggie walks into the kitchen, and I'm like, you know, do you see this? Do you see what I have done, right? Well, you know... But when we, when we turn that around to the Lord, it's not that God is saying, you know, is acting in, the, in that same fashion. You know what I mean? Do you see what I've done for you? Huh? Come on, come on. He, he doesn't need our approval. He doesn't even need our appreciation. He doesn't. He does desire it. Why? It's not just, well, because he's God. That's a lazy answer. It's because he is worthy of it because he's God. (laughs) All right? His character and his um, intervening in our life, his grace, this is all above and beyond the grace that he's shown us through salvation. And as we are asking for things, appropriately so, right, according to his will. We'll just leave that out there. And as he is answering, as we're intervening on others' behalf and we're we're pleading to him about things, and we see him working, boy, we should be filled with gratitude, right? It, it It should be something that just happens really spontaneously, And that's the way it is with all of these things that we just talked about. It's something that, yes, we are to work at, but it's also something that's supposed to be coming naturally to us as a child of God. All right? So that's the first part of this. The other thing that we see in this passage, just, you know, kind of taking these nuggets out, these last things that Paul has tucked away, is to live intentionally. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 say this, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, I'm going to start off with something that is going to kind of take us off track just a little bit. We'll come back. Trust me, we'll, we'll be back. It's in my notes, right? But there are many proponents of what we would call the New Age 
or mystical thinking who love this phrase, to be intentional. But it has a totally different meaning to them. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. A guy by the name of Carlos Castaneda. In the universe, there is an immeasurable, indescribable force. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Which shamans or, you know, these, these intellectually holy people call intent. And absolutely everything that exists in the entire cosmos is attached to intent by a connecting link. Ooh. Ah, is that what that is? Folks, I don't apologize for making fun. I'm I'm just being serious. But this has millions upon millions of followers. And not in Tibet on some mountaintop. Right? They're working out at the gym with you. They're at the grocery store with you. This is fairly popular stuff. Wayne Dyer, I've quoted him before. May have even quoted this, I have no idea. When you're connected to the power of intention, everywhere you go and everyone you meet is affected by you and the energy you radiate. I didn't know that's what they called it. But anyway, as you become the power of intention, you'll see your dreams being fulfilled almost magically. And you'll see yourself creating huge ripples in the energy fields of others by your presence and nothing more. Now, look, I mean, there is some truth to this, because you know, when I walk into a room, there's just this ripple effect, right? <laughs> Come on, you know what I mean? There's a lot of pride in here, too. Now, just real quick, let me give you a, a little illustration of, of Wayne Dyer. And I, I don't have this down perfect, but um, by the way, I've mentioned to you before, this guy's sold like a gazillion books. He's, he's, he's dead now, all right? But he's sold like a gazillion books, he was on PBS, which of course means that he was great, okay? Uh, for, for many years, he'd had these specials, and, and I actually saw a portion of this one, okay? And I was like, man, this guy's whacked. I mean, really. I mean, he believes this stuff. But it's all just like psychological babble is really what it is, right? But here's what he said. He said that he was uh, needing to get on a plane because he was had a speaking engagement in another city. So he was going from one city to another, and the plane was full, and they were telling him, I'm sorry, but, you know, you, you might not be able to get on the plane. And he said that he explained they needed to be on the plane, blah, 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 and they said, you know, we just don't think it's going to happen. And so he pretty much just went into this intentional mode and told them that he was going to be on that plane. And then, apparently, he sat down and radiated, okay? I mean, I don't know what, <laughs> but he just sat down and radiated, Okay. So, so then he talks about the fact that he got on that plane. And folks, I'm telling you, at that point, they panned around to the audience. And here's all these people that are making probably way more money than anybody else in here just going, you got on a plane? Wow. Because you intended it. It had nothing to do with the fact that you, number one, paid for a ticket. Number two, that you're probably a frequent flyer in at least business class. He didn't mention that part. Now, I don't know if he was or not, but he wasn't going coach. Man was a millionaire. (laughs) He was important. He was going from place to place. And it was a plane flight. 
either there was a space or not. It's not all of a sudden like, you know, oh, a new seed is formed. Come on, you made it. You intended it. And fabric came out of nothingness. Right? So here's my point, folks. This is all just a bunch of psychological things and mysticism and sensationalism that Paul was already warning us about. So I don't want our intentionalness to be related to this. Now, I didn't want you to see that quote for the whole time, so I put our verse back up, right? <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Uh, it's so easy. It's so easy to slip in this. It sounds nice. It sounds nice sometimes, but it's not good. To be intentional simply means to be deliberate or purposeful in what we do. Not to wishful thinking make things happen. So intentional Christian living is a determined in our hearts to live our life by God's standard and for his greater purposes, and might I add, regardless of the circumstances, whether you make the plane flight or not. So rather than us co-creating, by the way, I've got to go back here just for a second. I missed something. No, I didn't. Uh, I, I forgot to put this down. Uh, he basically, in the subtitle, says that it's about co-creating our, our world. Okay? That's what he basically says. So rather than co-creating our own world by our will, we conform to God's will for our lives to fashion us after the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to become one with some force in the universe, but to actually join with the one who created the universe. That's really what we're talking about. There are three aspects to this. The first one is to live wisely. And we see that. Walk in wisdom. In chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul prayed for them to know wisdom so that they would live a worthy lifestyle. Now Paul is instructing them to live wisdom, to actually live it out. He's specifically referring to the world outside of the church. Do you notice that? He has already instructed us on how we are to live with one another as a part of the body of Christ. And in this context, the word wisdom is a summary word for how we are to live life. So it's everything that we just learned. I say just learned. It took us a number of weeks. But everything that we looked at when it came to putting on and putting off, when it came to you know, the, the character that we're supposed to have in Jesus, that all needs to be brought forward. Now, just a reminder, wisdom is right knowledge properly applied. It's right knowledge properly applied. If we're off on our knowing, then our doing is going to be off. But we can have the right knowledge and still not do the right thing. Wisdom says, I'm going to take the right things that I know, and I'm going to do the right thing with it. So Paul is telling them to take everything he has made known to them and intentionally live it out in the world, beyond the church. Now, redeeming the time has to do with making the most of the opportunities that we have. The direct opposite is wasting or our interactions by not effectively living out the gospel and sharing the gospel. Now, folks, I know sometimes you know, we use the term lifestyle evangelism, and that kind of gets a, a bad rap. But true lifestyle evangelism is this. 
You live a life so that you create opportunities to actually open your mouth. Do you understand that? That's really what lifestyle evangelism is. I understand that the connotation is, I'm going to live my life and then people are just going to be like, what does he have? What does she have? I need to know. Right? Well, that's possible. But there's a lot of moralistic people around. There's all kinds of codes around. By the way, what if they're not attracted to your code? <laughs> right? They might be looking at you and saying, you're different. But it's not in a good way, in their opinion. That too can, can create, by our gospel lifestyle, an opportunity to share Christ. All right? So, again, all of this is so that we redeem the time. Um, and there's, there's just even just the aspect of, of doing good works beyond our, our immediate service to one another uh, and, and, and the Lord when it comes to the church. When it, we're just doing good works out in our communities. There's absolutely everything right with that. And again, the idea is that we are possibly going to be able to, hopefully going to be able to, have a dialogue with somebody in relation to who Jesus is and their need for him. So how are we going to do this? We're going to live wisely, but we're also going to speak graciously. Do you see that? Let your speech always be with grace. Now, the same word for God's saving grace toward us is used to describe how we speak to unbelievers. How it is used here indicates that we are to be gracious in our speech and our actual spoken words and the intent of those words. So we just have to stop and ask ourselves and evaluate ourselves against Scripture. Are we being gracious to those around us who don't know the Lord? Is, is that our general, the general way that we carry ourselves, that we communicate our thoughts, that, that we treat other people? Are we being gracious? Now, I'm sure that I've used this illustration before, um, but I'm going to use it again. Um, I have been embarrassed more than once. And I will say, and I mean this sincerely, not with anybody, you know, from, from Lemoyne Baptist Church, where I've been dining out with people who are, you know, definitely believers and how they treat the wait staff. I mean, you know, like I'm turning red. I'm feeling bad for the person. They're being rude. And, and it's like, you know, we don't have the same word here. You know, they're not your slave. They're your servant. There's a difference. <laughs> and, and, you know, there might have been several reasons why your steak was slightly overdone. Let's just take a time out here and ask them to do it again if it's that important to you. Right? Like, don't be rude, but instead be gracious. That has to do with, if we even go back to our relationships, our employeeing, our employering, right? Gracious. Again, we, we talked about this last week. Not a doormat, but gracious. Giving somebody the type of speech, the type of treatment, the type of consideration that they might not even deserve. Then we're also to speak appropriately. Salt 
is used as a metaphor in a number of ways, but here it is talking about salt being a seasoning, that we have our speech seasoned, right? Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. So when we season our speech, we're making what we say more palatable to the hearer. People will actually want to hear what we say because of how we say it. Now, folks, this isn't schmoozing, right? This, this, isn't, this isn't some manipulation. This is just saying things so that people are receptive to it. That's all. All of us can have an edge to us in any given way, in any given situation. All of us can be maybe a little too blunt or matter-of-fact or impatient with somebody who doesn't even know the Sunday school stories, right? Or we can come off as maybe being a little more knowledgeable about spiritual things than they are. Well, thank you, Wayne Dyer wannabe, right? (laughs) But how about if we take, again, those things that we just learned, about gentleness and humility and all those other different things and apply those to how we season our speech. Wouldn't you rather hear, you know, I don't always agree with you, but I can't be mad at what you say because you're too nice. This is just one of those little things that Paul decided to tuck away in that suitcase called Colossians. But it was important enough to slip in there. Now let's make some application here beyond what we've already done. If we're going to be successful in this, then we must live wisely in our communication in several ways. We don't treat others or respond to others selfishly. That's an easy thing to say. Doesn't, doesn't require a lot of explanation, but let it sink in. We can't have our communication be based on selfishness. We need to see everyone as equals and genuinely love people. Folks, that comes directly from the things that we're to put on and put off. Because Paul made a very big deal out of saying, we're all equal. And we need to demonstrate that love by how we speak to them. Characteristics of gracious and appropriate speech include being kind, truthful, polite, understanding, tactful, respectful, and compassionate. Now, that's a nice, tidy summary, but how do we live it? How will these principles affect our speech? When we, react, when we interact with people, we have a completely different cultural when we interact with people who have a completely different cultural framework than we do, that's one of the ways that we need to interact this or engage this. When someone comes from a completely different background viewpoint than we do, we, we have to engage in a gracious way with our words seasoned with salt. Another way, when we're offended or treated rudely, And then one more, when we don't receive something that we feel that we are supposed to, right? That can be everything from, 
you know, the the bonus, you know, whatever that was supposed to come with our with our uh, cereal to, you know, uh, a promotion at work, right? We especially need to know how to respond to people if they have questions about our faith or even ridicule our faith. You see what that says there? Season with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That's specifically what that's talking about. If they ask about our faith or even ridicule our faith, how do we respond? This doesn't mean give them all the answers to their questions. This means how do you respond? Graciously with your words seasoned with salt. Now I'm going to give you a very transparent and accurate example of a situation happened to me recently. And frankly, I don't know how I did. I felt like I did as best as I could, but I don't know. You know what I mean? I didn't have a camera outside of me looking. Maggie and I are in the checkout, the self-checkout, right? Because, you know, I'm a paid employee of Meyer, right? At Meyer, right? So, so we're at the self-checkout, and, and we're, we're buzzing through our stuff. And, and I find self-checkout to be a very high-pressure situation. I do. It's like there's people behind me. You know what I mean? Like, I got to get this stuff right. If I don't put it on the scale thing, you know, everything is very pressurized. Somebody else needs to be paid to do that. Just run it through. Tell me what I owe you, right? So anyway, it's just a lot of responsibility. So we're running through our stuff. We had uh, a couple of items that were on clearance. And there was a significant amount of money off these two items, relatively speaking. We had digital coupons that kicked in first, apparently. And um, I'm just going to tell you, if she were here, I'd say the same thing, and she'd be right over there with the instrumentalist nodding her head. This is not a cut. Maggie is the one that's a little more of the stickler on, like, hey, uh, you owe us some money, right? I'm like, it's no problem. Let's just go, please. Let's go. Right? That's, this is our personalities, you know what I mean? Well, you know, I've learned. So the, the, we, we call the person over, and so I engage with her, and I say, Okay, here's the situation, right? So I explained to her. I already told you what happened. She says, well, it took the coupons off. I'm like, well, I, I know it took the coupons off, but it's, it's a clearance item. It should have come up as a clearance item. We should be getting more off than this. She said, well, um, you got the coupons off. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, I didn't do that, by the way. <laughs> it was in there, but I didn't, I didn't make that face. I said, well, I understand that. But I said, you know, we, we really would kind of like the extra money off, right? And he said, well, I, I, I can't do anything, you know. I said, well, you know, that, that's fine. I, I said, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, the computer should work how it's supposed to. And, and that's, that's when she said, I, I can't do anything for you. And I said, I said, okay, you know, whatever, we'll just, and, and she stopped me. She said, don't you dare whatever me, young man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hit a nerve, didn't I? <laughs> okay. So here I am, you know, six foot tall, 200 plus uh, pound person, right? Looking at this woman. And honestly, in my head, the sentence formed. What did you just say to me? <laughs> right? What you employee just say to the customer? Like it goes, it went against everything that I knew. Okay, and look, folks, I'm just telling you, it was in there and I just looked at her and I was like, wow, you know, I mean, I didn't say anything. I just turned 
And I started packing my groceries up, finishing up the groceries. And she goes, I can see that I've offended you. <laughs> she, said, she said, let me fix this. I said, I don't want you to fix it. She said, no, no, I'm going to fix it. I said, I don't want you to. And I was just, I was calm, but I was telling her, I don't want your help anymore, right? So she starts fixing it. She's talking to Maggie. And I basically just had to have my groceries in my hand. I said, Maggie, I said, I'm, I'm leaving. You do what you want to do, but I, I need to go. And I left. Now, I don't know where your grade is for me or whatever, but I'm just telling you that when I turned around to pack my groceries after she insulted me the way she did, there's no two ways about that. I see two people next to me, and they're both, they're, they're frozen in time, right? <laughs> they, they've got their grocery bags in their hands, and they're looking at me, and I could see one of them just slipping their cell phone out. No, just kidding. <laughs> I want to get this bad boy on film, right? But seriously, I mean, everybody within, you know, a decent area. I did not raise my voice. But they saw what happened. It's not like, you know, I just have a normal conversation with a woman. Was I frustrated? Yes. Did I react super nicely to her? Not really. But I got out of there without <laughs> saying bad things. And I'm, I, look, folks, I'm telling you, you know, I mean, there was that little voice in my head. It's like, okay, uh, not coming back here anymore. There's a little voice in my head that said, I'm going to go see a manager. You know, all those things were coming up. But I had to wrestle all that down. So, folks, I'm just telling you, I, I know I probably wasn't perfect in it. But, you know, when I was talking with her, I was being nice. I mean, I don't know if there was salt, right, seasoning in my words, but there certainly wasn't saltiness, okay? But, man, what do you do? We have to to be on alert. We have to be applying what we know, and we can't be a jerk to people regardless of the circumstances as best we can, okay? So anyway, for what it's worth. All right, next thing here. I'm sorry, I got all off on that. Serve zealously. Serve zealously. Ephesians 4 Verses 12 and 13 say this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in, in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Areopolis. Now, this is not a direct command. This is an example that we see from somebody in Scripture here. And so Paul gives this example of Epaphras. Epaphras prayed for the Colossian church just like Paul had instructed them to pray, Right? Now, we need to go back to chapter 1 to remind ourselves of Epaphras a little bit more. And so we're going to jump back to verses 7 and 8 in verse 1, in chapter 1, sorry. As you also learned the gospel from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. In both 1, 7 and 4, 12, Epaphras is called a servant or a slave. This is in reference to being a servant of Christ, right? He is enslaved to Christ as all of us are, and that's a very good thing. We can't serve any better master than the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But when he's described in in one seven as a, a faithful minister, sorry, not one seven in 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 in, in, in chapter four, uh, we get the word deacon from this, which means servant. This kind of servant is not a slave, but he's one who does for others. So as Paul describes Epaphras' enthusiastic service, he references three churches, Colossae, Laodicea, and Areopolis. So Epaphras had taken the gospel to this region and had likely been instrumental in beginning the church at Colossae. Now, we aren't given any more details, but we can imagine the scope of Epaphras' activities, sharing the gospel, encouraging new believers and helping them grow, helping to establish a church, and all this accomplished without modern technology and transportation. Folks, this took some fervency, right? What I think is most important to note is that Paul doesn't give details about the what of Epaphras' service, even though I tried to kind of fill in some blanks there. Instead, Paul describes how Epaphras served. And I believe that this is the most significant thing. Let's look at a couple of verses. Titus 2.14, who, this is talking about Christ, gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. One of the very purposes of our salvation and sanctification, that's redemption and purification in this passage, is to set us apart as his own special people, so that we'll pursue good works with zeal and enthusiasm. That's one of the purposes that we're brought into the family of God. It's one of the reasons why he saved us. Let's also revisit a passage that we looked at recently. Matthew 25, verses 19 through 23. If you turn your Bibles to uh, Pew Bible, page 859, if you need that, but turn your Bibles to Matthew 25. We read a large portion of this the other day. I'm going to read you a smaller portion of it, starting in verse 19. And we have one more verse to look at, and then we finish this morning. Matthew 25, starting in verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants, as Jesus is continuing his parable of the servants, came and settled accounts with them. And so he who had received five talents, or five Um, measures of gold came and brought five other talents saying lord you delivered to me five talents look i've gained five more talents besides them his lord said to him well done good and faithful servant you are faithful over a few things i'll make you ruler over many things enter into the joy of your lord he also who had received two talents came and said lord you delivered to me two talents look i've gained two more talents besides them and his lord said to him Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Folks, we're looking at this very specifically in Jesus' parable. The master didn't focus on the ability of the servant or the amount that they gained. Did you notice that? That was not the criteria. The master's measurement for success was faithfulness. Folks, that ought to free us up. Right? I mean, we don't have to compete with other people. Do you remember Jesus' very short conversation with Peter after Peter was corrected 
and brought back into a proper relationship with, with Christ. He had denied him three times, and, and the Lord worked with him very patiently and very lovingly through that. And then all of a sudden, they're walking along the beach, and what does Peter say? Hey, what about John? Like, what do you have in store for him? Right? And yeah, exactly. He basically says, mind your own business. We don't have to worry about that. The Lord even tells us not to. Okay? So here's the point. It's about you and what God has for you and your faithfulness. Your responsibility to him. That's all you need to worry about. And it's very refreshing to know that. And then, then lastly, Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Now what he's talking about is those who made a wreck of their lives, those who basically denied the faith, those who are not in Christ, right? It's Hebrews. It's, it's a little bit different book. But then he transitions over, but beloved. That, that, that's that's, that's a, an indication. These are believers. We are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Folks, this is an amazing reminder that God will not forget our service. I just want to get that point across. We're not going to can't discuss this entire passage. But this passage is also a significant passage about perseverance. We are to serve the Lord for this lifetime through faith and patience because of our promised inheritance waiting for us. This, this is a good proof text here for the perseverance of the saints. The fact that we live a full life in Christ. Is our service going to be different throughout, you know, years, decades possibly? Yes, probably is. But we're to continue in it. And part of that is, again, just this, this the, the work, the actual labor, it says here, that's involved. There is some work involved. You're going to have to expend some things to do something for the Lord. But we don't forget the reward. We don't forget the blessings. And ultimately that blessing is all the promises related to the, the true promised land. The one that the scriptures tell us that Moses was actually looking ahead to. Actually, this book tells us that. And that's being with Christ. That's that eternal place where our relationship with the Lord is perfect. So as we just conclude this, just a few lines, folks. Pray intently for your own spiritual growth and pray for other people. Live life among unbelievers with intention and purpose and be motivated to serve Christ and others through the gospel. In other words, we do it because of the good news of what Christ has done for us. Folks, at, at times we, we uh, make a note of this, and I just want to uh, say again, you know, I don't know what your life is all about. I don't know what you're working toward. But ultimately, it's not 
a salvation of works. Ephesians 2 tells us very clearly, we cannot work to be saved, but we do work because we are saved. So if you're counting on your goodness to get to heaven, I got just like a minute here, folks. I'm not trying to be rude. You're not going to make it. That's not your ticket. It's impossible. It is through that grace. That's one of my rings. I looked down and was like, did I leave my phone on? Anyway, <laughs> it is through the graciousness of God, through Jesus Christ, the perfect, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. You have to place your full confidence in him. If you're not sure what that means today, if you're, if you're we're thinking, man, you know, if I, I just work hard enough, I'll make it. Or maybe you even said, I know. I know I can't work, but I haven't placed my faith in him yet. I want to implore you, please consider that today. Respond in faith to what the Lord has done for you. And oh, by the way, once you are his, once you are his servant and not the slave of the devil, not the slave of Satan and the world system, then everything you do for him counts for forever. It brings glory to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these last add-ons of Paul. We've learned so much already, and he wasn't quite done yet. And so, Lord, I pray that we just take these nuggets, make them a part of our living, to those here within, so to speak, and also to those without. And, Lord, I think it's appropriate for us not to forget ourselves. But may we pray properly. May we not pray to fulfill our own selfish desires as we're warned against. We're not going to get any answers for that. But may we pray in ways so that we can bring the greatest pleasure in you. Not our own pleasure, but yours. And we thank you, Lord, that in everything and anything that we do for you, you're not going to forget it. Somehow in all of this, even though we're deserve, deserving of nothing, you're going to reward us. May that motivate us as well. In Christ's name, amen.